the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together today. Long weekend, a lot happening, and we will get to what you need to know in just one moment. And, of course, we have some wonderful guests today. We'll talk with Don Critchlow, who's written a book called In Defense of Populism, Protest and America excuse me, in defense of populism, protest, and de- American democracy. Hold on, let me try to read it one more time. I read most of this book over the weekend. Don Critchlow's the author. The book is called In Defense of Populism, Protest and American Democracy. And also we'll talk with David Horowitz, the great David Horowitz. He knows a thing or two about protest and democracy. Uh, and uh, we'll visit with him in a moment. Later on this week, we'll talk with Pastor Robert Jeffress. I like him very much from Dallas. Uh, he is an extraordinary guy. And he had a, he got a little more prominent uh, over the last few years because of his um, his uh, leadership in the um, Trump administration or the Trump White House. Just a friend of the president. He's got a new book called A Place Called Heaven Devotional. So uh, it's a devotional book. We'll talk with him later on this week. You'll want to tune in for that. All right. What do you need to know today? First of all, let's talk about how uh, wonderful a treasure Joe, excuse me, Joe, haha, uh, Senator Rand Paul is. Senator Rand Paul is one of those people, um, and I mean it's, I don't mean just elected officials, it would be unique enough as an elected official, but he's one of those people who just, he doesn't lie. He actually doesn't seem to do sort of politics too much, which is hard because he's a big league politician, right? He's a very successful politician. He was elected in 2010 in Kentucky, won in the primary against a much more um, establishment candidate. And then he won again in 2016 and he's got up for reelection in 2022. But he just even when he's being political, he's uh, I think he just doesn't do it in a way that makes you think it's fake. Maybe it is. I don't know. I do know him actually pretty well but i he just is a legitimately serious guy and for example he did not believe that by the time we got to january 6th that there should have been people protesting contesting the certification of the election of the electoral college he did not think that was appropriate he did not support that move Others did. I, I certainly wanted it to happen. I thought there was so much indication of fraud and, and, and irregularities in the election that we needed to do it. He did not support it and he didn't do it. And therefore, he was not one of the people that was out there speaking about that like Ted Cruz was and the others and, of course, Josh Hawley. But now he's doing interviews and things, and he's saying to the media over the weekend, there was an interview with George Stephanopoulos and Rand Paul uh, on uh, on the morning show on Sunday, uh, is it this morning, uh, whatever the ABC version is, and Rand Paul was extraordinary. He, he doesn't take the positioning of his um, questioners. He rejects it and answers the question honestly. And remember, Rand Paul is the guy who was targeted on the baseball field when Steve Scalise was shot. Rand Paul was there. Hey, they, they, that, that lunatic was going after the uh, Republican baseball players at their practice in Virginia. And then Rand Paul was targeted by his neighbor who had Trump derangement syndrome or something like it and attacked him and was later either convicted or pled guilty to uh, the assault. Um, so Rand Paul has been kind of he also had COVID, I think, over the last year. 
must have been the last year in the last six months and so he's been through a lot and he just is tough he's just smart and so he went on these shows and he said wait a second you're claiming that the absence of proven fraud means the election was uh, perfect and he said it hasn't been transparent and for millions and millions of Americans there hasn't been transparency that's been exactly the argument most of us have said now and, and Rand says quickly we're not going to turn around the election of 2020 now the constitution's played out just like JFK he stole his election and became president and Joe Biden, if we don't know, we can't prove it yet. If the election was irregular and stolen and fraudulent, that's the the, the results are in. We're not going to change that. Although it could dramatically change how the public perceives people if we get to the bottom of the truth, but that's not going to change. And that's what Rand Paul said. Not saying that it gets to change the election, but saying we should get to the bottom of it and saying that we need more transparency. And then saying, in incredibly exciting, he said he's going to go around the country and help make sure that there is election uh, integrity and that there is real reform. And I can tell you this, I've, it's just, he said that on Sunday morning, within 36 hours of him saying that, I had heard from, let's see, eight, nine, ten different people in different states texting and emailing saying, hey, we, um, we'd like to find out what Rand Paul's up to. We'd like to find out the way to do that. We'd like to find out if we can help him. We'd like to find out if he'll come here and help us. We'd like to get connected. The appetite... Of the 74 million that, that voted for Trump and probably another, I'd say, I'd say another 30 million. I'd say he's up over 100 million people that supported him. That's, that's voting age people. There's also kids in all those families. Half the country literally was for Trump, right? But so 74 million voters, 74 plus, and then another 25 million. So 100 million people, 100 million voters conservatively were with Trump. And so they all want, they, they know something was wrong. In fact, remember the polling, 33 or 35% of Democrats know something was wrong. They want to see something done. So it's an extraordinary um, thing right now. It's extraordinary to see. And Rand Paul is truly a national treasure. Now, when we talk about what could be done to fight election fraud... Have you yet heard suggestions? Photo ID makes sense, but that doesn't solve mail-in balloting, right? Because mail-in balloting is without a photo ID anyway. So what do you do? Signature verification on mail-in ballots? Possibly. D eliminate mail-in ballots completely? I think there'll be some people that push back and say you at least need to have uh, a, a, a bolstered absentee ballot system. Here's one that nobody said. You know, it's it. Oh, let me let me set this up. I talked to a very prominent attorney, very, very experienced in his late to mid 60s, mid to late 60s years old man, practiced for many, many years. And he said, Ed, when we have white collar fraud, real fraud, accounting fraud, fraud of embezzlement and things, one of the things you have to look for is the number, meaning that in order to perpetrate one of those frauds, you have to, you have to be able to um, uh, uh, fill in the gaps of the numbers, otherwise people will catch it. And so you're looking for the discrepancies where, you know, a million dollars is here and then suddenly there's not a million dollars there. You know, there's $172 million on the books and then the next accounting is $171 million. Where'd the one million go? And you're looking for the number discrepancies you're looking for where they would hide that how they would know to cover it up 
And he said to me, Ed, in all these jurisdictions, especially this past uh, election cycle, 2020, as well as January 5th, 2021 in Georgia, he said, when you see these elections and they stop counting or the only places that haven't come in are the places that are ultimately swing the election, he said, it doesn't it doesn't pass the smell test. It actually is clear indication of voter fraud. It doesn't mean it's proof of voter fraud, but it's indication of fraud. And so he suggested, and I'm following up on this, why is it that we allow different jurisdictions to report at a certain time? Because he said what you would what it looks like they're doing is waiting until they can figure out what the number they need and then filling in the number. And he said either that's true or if it's false it looks true, so why allow it? So his suggestion is, why don't you have a situation where elections are decided, um, excuse me, the election results come in all at once. So if you're in, uh, you know, St. Louis County in Missouri, where I'm from, or St. Louis City or Greene County or Joplin County or uh, pick a county, any St. Francis County, any county, Pettis County, all the counties would get their results in, but no one would let anybody know what the number was until they were all ready. Uh, Why not? Now, the practical problem is counties want to brag that they got theirs done first and the best, but I think it could be a real uh, uh, thing to do. And you could even say, nobody's getting the results right now because St. Louis hasn't figured out what to do, St. Louis City. But we're not going to give that out because we don't want them to figure out the number. We want people to have confidence in the election. It seems like that's obvious. And again, even if it's not truly a place of fraud... Isn't it a good way to instill confidence in the system? So what you need to know right now, and the beauty of Rand Paul, is he doesn't do anything like a conventional politician. He doesn't think like one. He's a doctor. He doesn't act like one. He's a doctor and not a, and he's kind of iconoclastic. And he's, he just doesn't think like one. He's different. We need more thinking in ways we haven't done before, and that's an example of it. All right, everybody, let uh, let me take a break. When we come back, we will talk with David Horowitz later on in the program, and before that, we'll have a, a visit. Of, I'm excited to hear from him. We will spend a few moments and catch up with Don Critchlow about his new book. I've been looking forward to this. I was reading it over the weekend. Don Critchlow, his new book, Defend in Defense of Populism. And don't forget, go over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and uh, tune in there. with uh, Get yourself signed up for the Daily Wink, what you need to know, and you'll learn everything you need to know. Uh, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, everywhere else. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. And our next guest, I've been looking forward to this for a while now, um, old friend of the late Phyllis Schlafly, Don Critchlow. He's a professor at Arizona State University now. And um, he is um, was a professor at St. Louis University for uh, years. And for a while, had an office at the Phyllis Schlafly Center and worked closely with Phyllis, wrote a book about Phyllis and grassroots organizing, also helped there with the uh, massive archives. He's got a new book out. It's called In Defense of Populism. Protest and American Democracy. Welcome to the program, uh, Professor Don Critchlow. How are you, sir? Oh, thank you very much, uh, and it's uh, good to hear from you. I do want to clarify, my office in yep. the uh, Eagle uh, Forum uh, 
Center was primarily uh, setting up the extensive archives of Phyllis Schlafly. I, I wasn't working for the organization per se. Just oh, of course. That. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Right. No, no. So, of course. Sorry. And also, uh, and I think, uh, yeah. Um, now, uh, Don Critchlow, the book, In Defense of Populism, it's out by the uh, University of Pennsylvania Press and uh, available any books are. It came out in November. Is it a good time or a bad time to come out of a book like this? I mean, how how does how was it received? Well, it's uh, um, I think it's doing doing well in terms of its reception because we're in a moment of uh, populism, and uh, it, it was seen in the uh, nomination and election of uh, Donald Trump. But more importantly, it's seen in the. Uh, in the resistance, if you will, or uh, backlash toward uh, oligopic uh, uh, control of uh, big tech and the kind of uh, cancel culture that we've uh, created. So this is the age of uh, grassroots uh, activism. And uh, that's the message of the uh, book. It's a historical book, but it's basically a story of uh, social uh, mobilization, and I have a chapter uh, on uh, on uh, the grassroots uh, right, which was personified uh, in part by Phyllis Schlafly and the uh, anti-ERA fight. Uh, we're talking with uh, Don Critchlow, and his book is called In Defense of Populism, Protests in American Democracy. And uh, Don, I wanted to ask you about it. I, I was so surprised. I got the book last week, and I was reading it over the weekend. I was so excited to read your description in the first chapter about Edward Bellamy. Edward Bellamy was a an author, and he wrote a book, and it was called Looking Backward. And Looking Backward became a, a kind of like an instant classic, and, and it became almost an organizing tool in and of itself. I, it, and maybe maybe a choice, not an echo, when Phyllis Schlafly wrote that was similar. It doesn't feel like today in the modern uh, modern moment that a book like Edward Bellamy's could could yield such uh, organizing fervor. He wrote the book, and then there were like Bellamy clubs, right, that formed all over the country. Yes, and uh, the uh, looking uh, looking backward became a bestseller. Uh, it uh, prompted a grassroots movement. Uh, and uh, I, I, uh, and what happened was that that movement was primarily aimed against, uh, you know, monopoly uh, control. Uh, at a time, written at a time, this was in the uh, 1880s when it was published. Uh, at a time when major cities were having uh, riots. Uh, and mob action in this in this case between capital and uh, labor. Bellamy was a socialist, but he was looking for some uh, way of promoting uh, nationalism and socialism. So uh, nationalist clubs were set up. So we're now in a different uh, period. But I think what uh, obviously and. Uh, uh, the socialists have organized and the radicals and the communists have organized their, their own uh, social movements through uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa. But the, uh, the grassroots right has an opportunity and they are organizing uh, themselves. So we're in an age of populism. So I think the book came out at a really opportune, uh, opportune time. 
Uh, and so, and now, uh, after uh, I have argued, and we're talking again with Don Critchlow, his book uh, from University of Pennsylvania Press is called In Defense of Populism. And I, I have argued, uh, Don, that when you saw the Tea Party, you saw Occupy Wall Street, you saw the Bernie Bros, you know, the Bernie Sanders movement, you saw Donald Trump, these were a, a series of kind of um, mass movements that bordered on populism. The difference with Trump is his message got, a, because he became the president, it got a little more focused, whether it's only America first or not. It sort of feels like that. Is is a, Does a movement outlast its charismatic leader every time, some of the time, uh, most of the time, any time, and will it with Trump? Yeah, so I think the, uh, what, what Donald Trump did was capture uh, populist uh, sentiment that was out there. It was primarily a response to uh, globalism. And uh, mm-hmm. this, this uh, populist uh, expression is found not only in the United States, but across uh, Europe. And it's being seized upon by both the left and the right. And the question is, is who's going to, uh, who's going to be the victor? So populism is up for grabs, but in a very strange way, both the left and the right are reacting in part to uh, to globalization and the control of uh, uh, oligop the uh, oligopoly, as we uh, as we've seen. You know, people tied to. Uh, globalism, making profits on it, Wall Street, which is closely tied to uh, China and so forth. So we're in a fight, and and I do think think that this is not the time for the right to be uh, discouraged, but the time to to organize. There's a battle in America going on as, uh, as we talk, Ed. Uh, I, I agree, and I, I think it's real. Um, we're talking with Don Critchlow again. The book is called In Defense of Populism. Very, very interesting. And, and actually, um, the thing that I would say, uh, Don, that's very helpful when you read it, you're talking about how populism becomes grassroots, uh, you know, activism. So it's, you know, you, people can have populist beliefs and all. It's how it translates into into uh, into uh, movements that either have an effect at the uh, ballot box or try to and have it. Uh, um, what So, but. Don, um, Don is a professor. Don Critchlow also at Arizona State University. It, it, it is um, is when people say the polarization now is so severe and so significant, is that because we can see it because of the media and social media, or is it really profoundly different? And how do the two wings of populism, the left and the right, end up? They sometimes meet, as you talked about, anti-China, for example. But you know, are, is polarization worse now than before, or is it just we feel it more? Well, I think this has uh, become a, a trope that you know how terrible things are that they're uh, they're polarized. If you look at, you know, I mean, put this in a context, we had a, a civil war in 1861. I mean, I call that really depolarization. And 19th century politics, quite frankly, was, uh, aside from the civil war, was one of uh, uh, mass mobilization and often uh, violence. So, I mean, and uh, and uh, both parties at that point, the Republican and Democratic Party, accusing one another of not being uh, 
of not being uh, legitimate uh, parties in themselves. So in a way we've, uh, and it should also be added that the 19th century press was usually party press. Uh, they were owned by political parties, and they were quite, uh, there was no such thing as, quote, objective uh, reporting. So I, I think this is a, a kind of rhetoric that's being expressed uh, about polarization. Uh, polarization is sometimes needed in order to force the, uh, the parties to undertake uh, reform. So it comes to the uh, grassroots, and you know, thank God in this country we still have uh, some freedom that we can organize on the grassroots level. So at this point, I think, uh, if I may, I urge uh, uh, grassroots activists and the following Phyllis Schlafly's uh, model and stop ERA and earlier effort, efforts in fighting communism to begin to organize on the lo- local lo- level, expressing their opinions before school boards and school districts and uh, local uh, commissions and state legislatures. That's how change happens in America, uh, through, through the grassroots. We're talking with uh, with Don Critchlow and uh, uh, Professor Don Critchlow at Arizona State University's new book is In Defense of Populism from uh, the University of Pennsylvania Press. Um, Professor Critchlow, uh, what about third parties? I mean, you know, um, third parties sometimes have been sort of like a a populist or I mean, Andrew Jackson, it sort of exploded through. And when people talk now about a new Trump party, a patriot party in this moment in, in political history is could the third party be an expression? Perot tried it with the Reform Party. Could that be a, a viable expression of a populist uh, movement? Well, it could be an expression of a populist movement, but the history of uh, third parties have been basically one of uh, division. And more recently, third parties have uh, have uh, have hurt, uh, hurt the Republican Party. I think the fight as Phyllis Schlafly, who remained a lifelong uh, Republican, said that the fights within the uh, Republican Party, and she opposed uh, pretty, uh, quite consistently, uh, third-party efforts, whether it was uh, Wallace campaign or uh, the Reform Party. So, you know, third parties, or I don't think they're, at this point, a third party on the right, in my opinion, is only going to help the... uh, only going to help the uh, the left, the Democratic Party in particular, will divide the Republican Party. The fight, in my opinion, again, is within the uh, Republican Party. And furthermore, a split within uh, through a third party will really enable rhinos to have complete control of the uh, of the uh, Republican Party. So I'm, at this point, I'm not for. Uh, a third party mm. effort, and mm. I also believe that the fight needs to be beyond just uh, political parties, but on the local level, over a whole range of uh, other issues. And ra- grassroots mm. and mobilization and organization can fight on that level. Uh, if I may say one mm. more thing, Ed, uh, yeah. conservatives yeah. Put, have placed too much uh, hopes in just uh, elections. Uh, Republicans. That meanwhile, we had a, a culture that was deteriorating, uh, a cultural quicksand, if you will, 
And so the uh, the left began, uh, continued to take over institutions one by one, uh, from the media, through uh, entertainment, through popular culture, school curriculum, and so forth, higher education. And so we need to, it was a long struggle they undertook, and we need to, we need to understand that we're not going to uh, transform America back to what it was and retake America without a really long uh, struggle. It took decades hmm. for the left to make uh, hmm. progress. That's what we need to uh, understand. We need to take, hmm. retake, retake the institutions and create alternative ones where necessary, whether it's through school choice, new colleges, uh, new media platforms, and so forth. All right, Don Critchlow, the book is In Defense of Populism, Protest and American Democracy, University of Pennsylvania Press. Really worth looking at. Thank you, Don. I got to run. We'll uh, put it up on social media and good luck with the book. Thank you, sir. Oh, thank you very much, Ed. Bye-bye. Take care. All right, right. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here with our great friend, David Horowitz. He, of course, is the best-selling author of many books, including Radical Son, A Generational Odyssey. I've read that one. It's a good one. He also, of course, writes over at FrontPageMag.com. David Horowitz, what are we seeing in America right now? The institution of a fascist state. This is pathetic. This is the most pathetic presidency in our history. Well, what's Joe Biden's uh, program? Well, what's his agenda? Fight Trump. I mean, it makes no sense. We're in the midst of a big COVID pandemic where where we're getting new strains globally, and he's opening the borders. So thousands of people just come streaming across carrying the virus. And everybody walks on any, well, of course, everybody in the corrupt media walks on eggshells around this jerk in the White House. Uh, then he says, uh, there's nothing we can do. So first of all, he had this great plan. He accused Trump of killing every coronavirus person because he had no plan. And she gets right. the office and he says, there's nothing we can do about the virus. <laughs> I mean, right. you know, if this was a Monty Python comedy routine, I would understand it. Except it's deadly serious. Nancy Pelosi, the witch, this woman, I, I think Cambridge said today, she's certainly the worst the worst legislature we've ever had in the whole history of the country. But, you know, she's in charge of the Congress. What's the first bill they want to put out? H.R. 1. It's a bill designed to make cheating permanent and really easy. Like outlawing IDs. You can't have voter IDs. Like everybody gets to vote by uh, mail and ballot. Which the Jimmy Carter Commission said is mail and ballots give the greatest opportunity for voter fraud. You know, and then we have, uh, you know, God bless Rand Paul for having the guts to stand up to these flacks like George Stephanopoulos, who, you know, went from being a shell for Bill Clinton 
slave rush hours in the weekends uh, being an ABC so-called uh, reporter. Uh, of course, there was massive election fraud. And what are the Democrats doing? They want to criminalize you if, if you ask a question, if you question the, the results of that phony election, uh, you're a domestic terrorist. You're a criminal. You gotta be mm-hmm. proud if your name is Josh Hawley, you're Senator Hawley, you're Senator Cruz, I wanna swung you out of the Congress. We've never been at such a low point politically in our history as this one. Uh, we're talking with David Horowitz, uh, best-selling author, and I go to frontpagemag.com to uh, other places that he uh, writes there. Um, is um, is uh, David? Is it worse than ever? And let me say it though differently: uh, what, Do you have more hope than ever of fighting back? This is the worst. This is the worst situation our country has ever been in, except for the Civil War. And the Civil War, at least the Confederate traitors were honest enough to declare open war and not pretend uh, that there's some great threat to the capital, which they have to put down with 25,000 troops. Uh, this whole capital thing reminds me of the Reichstag fire when the Nazis, Hitler had just been elected to uh, Chancellor, which was a leading post in the Weimar Republic, which was a liberal republic, a democratic republic. So what the Nazis did was they set fire to their Congress, which is called the Reichstag, uh, and blamed it on one black communist. And then they came around to get people and said, you know, it's not right. You know, we're close to that. It's obviously not exactly the same. They haven't uh, sent those 25,000 troops. Uh, out to go arrest people yet. Uh, can we fight back? Sure. Trump got 74, 75 million votes, probably closer to 80 million votes, despite the worst campaign of vilification uh, in, in human history against it. So that's his belief. It's huge. Now, you know, nobody voted for Biden. They voted against Trump because of all the propaganda. So if, if patriotic Americans keep their heads uh, and, and don't back down, it's supposed to spring a state song. No retreat, no surrender. I've got a Twitter feed in it at Harlem's 39. I've been playing all these 60s rebellious anthems that perfect for our time. Ben Larson has a really beautiful one called Point to Be Free. But no retreat, no surrender. Uh, and, and the first people have to hear that is the Republican, the Republican Party seems to be steadily coming around to defend Trump. And it, it, this is the most disgraceful thing in my lifetime in our politics. The whole Democratic Party, all the legislators, only want to do is humiliate Trump and attack him. He's, he's out of office. He left peacefully as he always was going to do. Uh, he didn't hide anything. I mean, he told a crowd of 100,000 people 
um, to pro- to protest peacefully and patriotically. Those are the exact words. Meanwhile, the Democrats are still cheering on rioters. In New York, in New York State, in New York City, I guess, is when the riot was. It was they, you know, they burned things, they looted, and the Attorney General of the state, the black racist, uh, is, is prosecuting the police. It's got a suit against the police department. And nobody is saying, of course, we don't have a media anymore. Well, we do. You know, we've got Fox, we've got OAN, and we have Newsmax. And they're going to grow and grow and grow. Uh, we're talking with uh, David. I have I only have like 25 seconds, I'm sorry to say. Does Biden serve a full term? All right. I got to run. David Horowitz, best-selling author. Thank you as always, David. We appreciate you. uh, Read all his stuff. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, grassroots activist, author of 27 books, and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. In rhetoric, ad hominem is when a speaker attacks the person making an argument rather than addressing the argument itself. This weak logical fallacy is extremely common in politics. Every time you hear an enraged liberal call conservatives Nazis, you're hearing an ad hominem attack. Rather than discussing the substance of the points being brought forth by the conservatives, the liberal is calling conservatives a mean name in an attempt to discredit them. Another example of ad hominem is when pro-abortion people tell a male pro-lifer that his opinion does not matter on abortion because he cannot have babies. Rather than address the pro-life arguments of the man, they want to silence his voice, effectively cutting their opposition in half. This tired argument isn't just coded in logical fallacy, it's dripping in hypocrisy too. After all, when was the last time you heard a pro-abortion person tell a pro-choice male to pipe down on the abortion issue? Without a doubt, many, if not most, of the nation's most prominent pro-life leaders are women. Yet the seven most influential figures in the pro-abortion movement were all men. The men I'm referring to are the seven male Supreme Court justices who formed the majority opinion of Roe v. Wade, declaring it unconstitutional for a state to outlaw abortion. For pro-abortion women so bent on keeping pro-life men out of the discussion, I'd really like to know what makes those unelected male lawyers more equipped to make those decisions than female state legislators. For pro-abortion people to be consistent in their call for men to stay out of the abortion issue, they themselves would have to reject the Roe v. Wade decision, the Doe v. Bolton decision, and every other ruling ever passed by our male-dominated Supreme Court. Pro-life men should not be silenced by these unfounded ad hominem attacks. Real men of character should be applauded for fighting to protect those 
who are unable to protect themselves. America needs more real men who are not afraid to take a stand for the unborn. Would you be willing to take a stand? This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Despite the outrageous pro-abortion stance of many liberals, the vast majority of American people value human life. More than ever, pro-life voices need to stay vigilant and be heard. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're not backing down. Please, join us in the battle for life at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Pro-America Report. Great to be together. Hey, here's what I want you to do today. What you need to do, it's Ed Martin here at Pro-America Report. Go to, uh, always go to ProAmericaReport.com to tune in. But what I wanted to ask you to consider doing today and what you need to do, the window, what you need to do today is, here's what, I, what you need to do is focus on the local. Focus on the local right now. And so I want to ask you today to follow up with your congressman on what he or she did on January 6th. Now, please be clear. If your congressman is a Democrat, don't bother. Maybe have a neighboring congressman who's a Republican. But we have had some of our Phyllis Schlafly Eagles nominate their congressman for standing up on January 6th for the Constitution and we the people. And you don't understand. I'm telling you now, these men and women that stood up in Congress, they're getting pummeled by the media. They're getting pummeled by the establishment. They're trying to make them feel like they did something wrong when they did something right. And we need to buck them up by giving them uh, encouragement. So I want you, you know, on my home state, Senator Josh Hawley has been uh, really beaten up over this. But they're also trying to beat up Jason Smith, the congressman, and uh, Blaine Luktemeyer, the congressman, and Sam Graves, the congressman, and Billy Long, the congressman. All those folks stood up for the president and the Constitution and we the people on January 6th. So... None of us, none of them, none of you, none, no one condones violence, no one condones breaking, no one condones anything, no one condones any of that. What we do not, what we stand up for and we do not stand for is we stand up for them and we reject the politics of destruction because all they did was their job. As Senator Josh Hawley said, his job is to represent the people of Missouri. The people of Missouri have lots of concerns about the elections in his judgment as the representative, the, the senator for the Missouri people, he made the judgment that he should stand up and protest. Now, you can disagree with that judgment or not, but the idea that you would say the fact that you did that is somehow outside of the norm or acceptable, that's insane. That's actually a, a, an attempt to, uh, to make uh, what is normal serving as a representative or a senator for your state or constituents and making it as something at least borderline criminal. And it goes so far as the, the Senate Democrats filed an ethics complaint against Josh Hawley saying he went too far by what? Representing his people and their concerns? And here's the beauty of this. Here's the beauty of this. Josh Hawley, instead of saying, oh, really? That's interesting. You filed an ethics complaint. I did nothing wrong. He filed an ethics complaint right back against the people who filed one against him, which is perfect. 
because they're trying to silence him by intimidating him through using the Senate Ethics Committee. Where the Senate Ethics Committee, by the way, is a toothless group of people who police each other. So it's senators policing each other. They never do anything. Don't get me. I mean, don't get me started on it. They never do anything. They never are going to do anything. It's not real. But now those those senators, Democrat senators, file an ethics complaint with the Senate Ethics Committee, and they complained about Josh Hawley. And I'm telling you, the greatest news I've ever seen was that Hawley filed back, filed back an ethics committee. And it was fantastic. It was really, really great. It was really, really important. It was really, really uh, uh, fun to see. And that's how you win, by the way, is by not being intimidated and instead deciding that you are going to uh, fight back by uh, pushing back in the same way. And uh, let me give you oh, let me give you one quick example about this. Um, when I was running for Congress in 2010, I had one of the people who was pretty experienced say to me, hey, you are going to need to be ready to file an ethics complaint against your opponent and I said well how can I do that you know I, I don't know who I don't know what they what they might have done I mean how, how do I know um, you know what um, what what I should be ready to do and he, and he said you can guarantee at some point someone you or them are going to want to file an ethics complaint and the key to it is to punch right back with your own ethics complaint and in, in this case I was a challenger against an incumbent uh, this this guy said that knew better he said you want to have the story about an ethics complaint include both ethics complaints so people think oh they're all in the in the in the dirt together the last thing you want to do is have an ethics complaint stand alone against you and then later you try to get some traction on the other one because they won't cover it it was kind of insightful and actually I've always believed it to be true and that's what Holly did Holly took this ethics complaint against him Senator Josh Holly the ethics complaint filed by the Senate against him and he went right back and said you can't do that you're you're breaking the rules here are the rules because either way, he's getting some egg on him, some mud on him. That's why they're doing it. That's the purpose of this is to hopefully make it so normal people don't want to have to deal with egg on them. And so back to my point, I want you to look in your state or in your where you live and see if your congressman stood up for the Constitution, stood up for the rule of law, stood up for us on January 6th and stood up for the president. If he or she did, I want you to consider nominating them because in Tennessee, we're about to give a special award to those members of Congress who stood up for the Constitution, we the people, and Donald Trump. And we're doing the same thing in Missouri, a very special Eagle Award, and we're going to give them out. So we're just in the process of finalizing this. And if your state has a good guy, has to be somebody who stood up for the Constitution, stood up for the rule of law, stood up for we the people, stood up for the president on January 6th. We need to buck them up and make them feel our support and gratitude because we do believe it. We do believe in it. We do believe in the encouragement. We do believe, I mean, do believe in what they did and we want to encourage them. We believe, we believe, you know, Horowitz, David Horowitz in his interview, he said, you got to always fight back. You can't sit back. You got to fight back. If you sit back, you're losing. If you fight back, you're winning. All right. So think about that. That's what you need to do is think about who in your state was a good guy or gal in the Congress, you know, from your state that was in the Congress and send me their names. Ed at phyllisschlafly.com, Ed at phyllisschlafly.com or uh, send it uh, into our website and we'll 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 help. We'll look at them and hopefully give them honors and encourage them. But you should call them and say, hey, way to go. Thanks for doing that. All right. We got to take a we got to finish up. Not take a break. We got to take a break. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin. Let me say thank you to Noah, our great technical director, Joanna, for booking our guests. And we will be back tomorrow. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, sign up for the Daily Wink and see any of these great segments right there. Talk to you tomorrow. This is 
the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.